0: Nobody likes us. We don't care. It's South London. It's crazy over there. Nobody likes us. We don't care. Welcome to the jungle. It's lies out Hey yo, messy with my with my right. uh, Good afternoon ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to episode 2 of the uh, Mirwall Premier League Kicks podcast um, There's a couple of other people in the, the chat today, I'm um, letting them introduce themselves
1: uh, Gary O'Tim, so I'm the Kicks Community Development Officer um, And yeah, that's that really <laughs>
2: I'm uh, Adam Lawrence, uh, head of coaching at Charlton Athletic Academy. Um, so yeah, that's me. Thank you for um, thank you for joining us, Adam. Much appreciated. Yeah, it's good thank to you, thank uh, you as well, get, no get the green Pleasure. team Pleasure.
0: back <laughs> together. Um, first and foremost, <laughs> just a quick quick brief. Just sort of how are you? How are you
2: getting on as the family during this time? Yeah, all good. Thanks, Tom. Um, obviously, none of us sort of uh, saw sort of situation and circumstances mm. coming. And, uh, no, of course. For the world, has obviously been a very sort of uncertain and a fragile time. Um, but, you know, on the flip side to that, particularly in our space, right. uh, you know, working with young people and working in the industries that we work in, it's, it's, there has been some positives in terms of having a little bit of time to spend with the family. For sure. Uh, some time to sort of uh, reflect and, and look after yourself. Yeah. And also just to start thinking about, Even from a work perspective, uh, Mm. you know, the the strengths or good things that you're doing and maybe some things that you're aspiring to in the future. So, uh, uh, terrible situation and circumstance to to, to be in. Of course, yeah. uh, You know, I guess it's like anything in life. When these things come along, you've got to try and make the best out of it and and try and come out the other end a better person. So, uh, yeah. I
0: I agree. I
2: agree. Gaz, how have you been?
0: You've been all good? Sort of echo the same things as Adam. Yeah, yeah,
1: having to work from home again is always is is always interesting. This different dynamic. I think it's important to sort of space your time out um, and gives gives yourself because you can't just be at your laptop all day. You wouldn't do that in a normal environment. Um, but yeah, nice. No, been I've been good, thank you. Uh, how are you, Tom? How are you getting
0: along? Living the dream, living the dream. Back the boys in this, uh, in this Zoom meeting, so I'm quite happy with that. But um, yeah, no, I'm back. It's, like, to it's
1: like 2009 again, isn't it? I know I'm getting quite
0: emotional. I'm gonna have to flick this off in about ten minutes to get myself yeah, together. Who who's who's got the cones? Who's got the <laughs> <laughs> Who's got the whistle? Where's the whistle? Who's God, You got and it. <laughs> good, great times. Well, On that note, um. Adam, could you just give us a, a quick, quick round-up of what um, sort of your, your involvement is at Charlton, um, if possible, so you can give
2: the, the audience a bit of a, an intro. Yeah, so I've been at the club for eight years now um, and, and overall have very, very much enjoyed and thoroughly enjoyed my time at the club and, and love being there.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, I originally joined the club as a youth development phase coach, so I was predominantly working with the under-15s, coaching them and also delivering sessions across the 12 to 16 age groups. Um, after a season, I then moved up with that squad into the under-16 age group. Yep. And then I started to oversee the whole phase. So sort of leading and driving the under-16s but overseeing the curriculum and the delivery of the 12 to 16s program. Okay. Um, and then about, it would be four and a half years ago now, I then changed my role again to head of coaching. So I guess like the key sort of aspects of that role are to oversee the playing and coaching philosophy from under nine to under twenty threes. Yeah. Work really closely with the coaches across those age groups to sort of ensure that we the way that we want to teach and coach the players is is relevant to the age and stage of where the players are at. Yeah. And also to support individual coach development alongside that. So, uh, you know, supporting them on their journey. Yeah. As well as, obviously, coaching heavily across the board. Because, uh, mm. first and foremost, well, you boys know me more than, than anyone. I'm very much a coach and someone who works yeah, closely absolutely. with players. So, uh, yeah. just just trying to find that balance between supporting players, supporting coaches. And then linking in with the performance staff. So... Sport science, yeah. analyst departments, education and welfare, extra etc. To uh, I guess support the holistic development of our players, which, as we know, is is very important. Um, On that
0: note, um, Adam, what's the biggest change that you've seen since coming into your role with Charlton? You know, all those years ago, what was the biggest thing that you feel's changed
2: in football in regards yeah. to development and all that type of stuff? Yeah, I think one thing that clubs have been fortunate enough to be able to do is increase their staffing across right, the board. Yeah. So I think previously when you thought of clubs and uh, you know, a player being at a certain academy, you'd always think of coaching and the delivery and the work that was done. And listen, that's very important. Very, very important to yeah. get the technical work, the tactical work with players uh, done correctly. It's imperative. But I think what clubs have developed is a more sort of uh, rounded idea around how players are developed and they've tapped in I think the first area was the physical corner with regards to sports science and the sort of development of of things in that arena and then more recently uh, an increase in the psychological and social support for players you know and and a real understanding of what's going on in their minds at different ages and stages of their development and also their lives you know what young people are going through yeah Uh, i think we can all be guilty of times you know when we've got a badge on our chest and we're representing a club and we're working Mm. in an elite environment of you know trying to hold our program into real sort of high esteem and expect and have real high expectations which listen is a good thing as well but Mm. we also need to understand that we're dealing with young children yes yes that takes a lot of nurturing that takes a lot of support and uh it's, it's not easy. And we, we, we as coaches and as staff need to understand that players will uh, have certain things going on in their life that will affect them uh, mm. throughout their time with us. So hopefully, listen, we're not perfect, but what we try and have is a more rounded and supportive programme yeah. which will help players in various sort of facets of, of their life and game. So. Yeah. No, that makes sense, Gaz. Have you got
0: anything to add on that from from like a Kicks perspective? That's sort of going straight into what um Adams has sort of gone on from there.
1: Yeah, so I think from the from the Kicks perspective is uh we we're a pro- Kicks is a program which is more than just about football, and it you see sometimes it's easy to get lost in the fact that because it's football, you know, um these are these are young people, uh, and especially I guess in the areas that we're working in in terms of Suffolk, Lewisham. Adams, within up like the Greenwich area as well, is that we're working with young people that are coming from potentially difficult backgrounds. Yeah,
0: definitely.
1: Um, so in many respects, we're more than just football coaches. We're sort of youth workers as well. Um, and, and trying to get, gain an insight into their lives can make such a difference to their sort of day-to-day. Um, and a lot of them look forward to coming to Kicks on a Friday or, I don't know, uh, Ashley Cooper on a Wednesday, which used to be Avondale Adams'
0: stamping Once. ground. Oh, I'm getting emotional. I need a know what a place. That,
1: but, <laughs> We are, we're we're more than just football coaches, and I think you could Adam may want to elaborate. But I think even mm. from his perspective, I think he probably sees himself as more than just a football coach, despite it being the elite level. Um, so yeah, that's that's my take on on that sort of. Yeah, and I think
0: it's so it's a prominent point actually, guys. I think on on that bit, Adam, do you want to just give a, a little a little sort of minute
2: just about your involvement in kicks previously? With, yeah. Well, yeah. First of all. It's a programme that I very much enjoyed, very much enjoyed working on. And uh, obviously meeting people like yourselves on that programme and, yeah. you know, you're carrying friendships on until this yeah. day, I think is Absolutely. very powerful and very special. Yeah. And I think, and first and foremost, the football sort of drives the programme and is the vehicle to bring all these different people from different backgrounds together. And I think that is really powerful, you know, and special again. Of course um, mm. so without the football, you wouldn't get x amount of players and children attending, but off the back of that, there's so much powerful life stuff that can happen yeah naturally well, because of the program and i think uh, I think you know listen i don 't know what you boys think, but when I think back to that time, you always think back to Uh, all the kids that you met on the programme seeing them sort of develop uh, the type of things that they were doing
0: Um,
2: as well as there being it's a mixed ability programme but the thing that always struck me with Kicks when we were doing it is that it was attended there was a lot of good footballers and a lot of good potential and talent there and I think as much as we enjoyed the inclusion side you always want to see you know them sort of uh, good individual players or the players that sort of excite you so I think it worked really well because it was a program that encouraged everyone. You know, we had the masses there in terms of numbers, yeah, and we were fortunate enough to have a lot of good players there as well, which would drive the sort of level and competitiveness. And, yeah. and and I thought that was great. Yeah, no, I, I, I have to
0: agree. I felt that ultimately we were very lucky. I mean, some some of the ability and the, the quality, especially. Uh, Bakers and the Lamasia on a, on a Friday night was, was, was special stuff. The uh, the five pitch um the five pitch tournament wasn't it, the, 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 the knockout. the Five
1: pitches, yeah. Remember
2: when we had to move down to the two small fibre side yeah. ones as well because we didn't have enough space.
0: Oh yeah, I remember we
2: um I remember one week we all got
0: together and we defaulted, didn't we? We started on the bottom, we worked all the way up and then we got to the second to the last one where Chan deji and all that was and then we had to come time discutted. That was that was a slog that night. But no, but this is what I mean. It was the quality of player, fantastic. You know, I think exactly what you said, Adam, as well, being able to actually see the journeys and, and to see where the boys are now as well. Like, for example, like with Chan, with Haas, with Vic, they're all they're all sort of embedded into the, the, the trust now, working full-time, you know, and that's all, that's been like a 12, 12 13, 14-year project, you know. For, so yeah, for yeah. me, I don't know for yourself as well, that, that's, that's a massive part and just being able to see where people are now in lives, even if we're not, still in regular contact with them that we've all come from the same thing do you know what i mean even like ourselves mm. like friends 10 11 years on this it's unbelievable um, yeah 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 and nah. you know what that goes perfectly into the first question um so adam i'm gonna put it to you i thought we'd done about three or four already it's gonna be two hours this one so enjoy people yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, i got a
2: feeling of that yeah <laughs>
0: Cancel dinner, cancel dinner. Yeah. But, um, does the Premier League Kicks programme improve the prospects of late developers um, and promote their academy progression,
2: potentially, if they were to get that opportunity? Yeah, I think I think the key for me here, Tom Gay, would be, first of all, clubs need to be aware of the community programmes that are yeah. taking place. You know, that's the biggest thing for me and also respect the work that is going on.
0: Yeah.
2: And I think that will look different uh, club to club in terms of how the academy views the community program and how sort of close they link. Yes. For me thinking, you know, in terms of my community experience, uh, Mm. not just kicks, but all the other programs we've worked on is, you're working with a large quantity of Mm. players. Yes. So they're obviously mixed ability when you go to estates, when you go to schools, when you do holiday camps. Yeah, true. But because of the areas you're working in, you're going to come across good individual players and some really good talent. So I think it's about the club's sort of buy-in to those community programs and also understanding of what talent ID and Mm. players look like. Mm. So, you know, the later sort of developers or I would call them sort of more like the raw sort of gems or those players that have the potential to.
0: That's
2: where, for me, clubs need to have an understanding of that type of player and Mm -hmm. how they can further support them, you know, in the programme. I'm sorry, Adam, go on. No, no, I was just going to mention Paul Pierce at this stage. I know you both know well, um, who's a scout at Millwall. I thought what Paul was really good at was, uh, you know, when we sort of made contact with Paul, when we invited him down to come and have a look and look at some of the boys. I found that he genuinely, you know, sort of brought into it and wanted yeah, to come and see and wanted to help the boys.
0: Yeah,
2: And that's the, type of, that's the type of approach that you would like to see clubs have, you know, to not think that, I don't know, I don't know that anything is sort of beneath them or, yeah. you know, for coaches who are out there working at community level, you know, anyone, yeah. most people can spot a good player, you know. So yeah, absolutely. If yeah. you turn up to kicks on a Friday night when we were doing it and you spent 15 minutes there, you could probably pick out the best one or two free players. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most and definitely. Then, if you've got a sort of trained eye for talent ID, you might just be able to pick out sort of one or two others that sort of catch your eye and stuff. So, yeah, I, I think clubs have a real responsibility to tap into their community program and to buy into it rather than it just being an add you know,
1: yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. No, T, I, I, I just I, wanted to add something yeah. into because I hadn't mentioned um in terms of community programs and stuff yeah. and and the importance of recognizing the importance of the community programs uh, but you also mentioned um the areas that that these players are coming from what do you think it is because i've i've noticed it and i'm sure you guys have as well Is that south london in particular has received so much adulation and and sort of spotlight recently for being a hotbed for talent and yeah. there's documentaries here and there and I mean, I get emails all the time about, "Are oh, we going to do a documentary about your program or about South London?" What do you guys think it is? And that's the both of you. What do you guys think it is about South London um, that makes it such a, a hotbed for talent?
0: I don't. I think for me personally, boys, I, to this day, I I still don't have the answer. I don't know what it is. I mean, we as you said, we're we're so lucky with the with the the production line. You know, I mean, we can we can reel off probably 20 names in, in, in 30 seconds that, you know, have come, out of the, have come out of the slums and the concrete jungles, if you will. I, I, I'm not really, I'm not sure. What, what, what's your take
2: on it, Adam? I mean, I wasn't really helpful. Yeah, I think it's obviously similar in other areas of London as well, but
0: yeah. I
2: think what we obviously have in South London, uh, coming from the area and being brought up here, is you have a real diversity of players. And I guess a celebration of cultures, uh, you know, from diff- different pockets and different sort of parts. Mm. And that's one thing, you know, even just living in South London that I really enjoy. You know, the mm. different people, all the different sort of communities. And it's something that you're always proud of and something that you celebrate. And I think with that then is you get different types of players. Mm. And you get different types of uh, Uh, characters and different individuals that then obviously play the game and uh, you know for instance I'm sure there's other areas of England where the players and children will all sort of be quite similar in terms of uh, you know what they look like you know their backgrounds etc but I think you're sort of we're blessed in South London where we have got that real diversity Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's great and, and yeah, I guess when I look at, uh, you know, the players that have come through at Charlton and the two biggest that we've had from South London are Joe Gomez. Yes. Obviously now at Liverpool and uh, Adamola Lookman. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Joe was from the Forest Hill area uh, and um, Adamola was from Peckham. Yeah. Uh, we, and, and when I look at the two of them, first of all, two very good, humble kids. Yeah. So sometimes I feel that kids from South London or London can get a certain type of rep rep from people from the outside, et cetera. But, you know, in terms uh, of those two characters, uh, very, very good, humble boys, you know, even when they got to the top end of uh, their sort of level in the game. And the two things that sort of struck me with them was they obviously had real good quality. Mm. So, again, when you look at other players that have come from South London, you know, Hudson, Odoi, uh, Jaden Sancho, etc. You've got some real 1v1 type players. You've got some exciting, pacey, you know, attacking flair. And then on the flip side uh, to that, I think you've got that edge and I think you've got that drive inside you to sort of push yourself and to make yourself better. Yeah. when those types of players then go into the academy programme that can then accelerate their development if they've yeah. got that right mentality and love for the game. Um, mm. and, and I know there's been a lot of talk around, I guess, cage football, unstructured uh, football. Mm. And uh, I, I definitely think there's something in that in terms of yeah. uh, you know, uh, football being played in a chaotic, sort of uh, unorganised way over yeah. a period of time. And and also the mix of ages, you know, young boys playing with the older lads, yeah, getting roughed yeah. up, getting bashed up a little bit. I yeah. definitely think there's something in that as well. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you, Tom. It's, it's very difficult to yeah. put your finger on one thing. I guess you sort of just try and think back to you know some of the lads we've come across and just try and find some sort of consistencies. But uh, a love for the game for me is is got to be critical and crucial.
1: What you said about the mixed age groups as well. Sorry, T, I've cut you off again, bro. I no, no, no go on. on. I know what you're going to say. Go on. Yeah. The mixed age thing is, is a massive one. Um, and I feel as though that's part of what makes... So, for example, kicks is, is is quite a... In terms of age groups, we do try to split it. But generally speaking, there may be a 12-year-old against a 15-year-old.
0: Yeah.
1: And I feel as though, from my experience, what I've seen, so Tom, obviously, you know, the Josh's, the Dds. Um, the Geelangs, they benefited massively from coming up against the Chans the Montels the Hassans the Victors in terms of their development I'm sure they were doing it outside of our Mm, environment in terms of kicks Mm, they were doing it away from us but within that environment as well they would benefit I think they've said it before I think Femi said it in our graduation match in 2017 Femi said that Mm. a lot of his development came from the fact that he was facing people that were much older than him bigger than him stronger than him and he had to find different ways to play and to manoeuvre within that environment so yeah, I definitely definitely agree with what Adam said there.
2: And if,
0: going back to the kicks thing as well is that ultimately, boys. If you if you think about it, if we actually if we go from a logical perspective, when when we was on the sessions, we'd always buzz off watching the young boys playing, wouldn't we? Because they'd get together, they'd rally together, and they'd get the older boys a pasting, wouldn't they? No, but that's the thing, and that was that was nurturing itself. That now looking back, we you know facilitate a bit of that as well. You know, I think that's yeah, yeah that's, that's that's crazy, and. it... it with that as well, right, from your perspective, Adam, head of coaching at Charlton, what do you want to see from a trialist when they come through the door? What, 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 do you, what, do you, what do you want to see and what should a player have in their locker or sort of have sort of bubbling to be working towards to, to
2: make it at an elite level? Yeah, I think like the first thing to appreciate is obviously no one player is going to look the same mm. as another. So you've of always course. got to try and look at that player as an individual and try and look at them... Uh, and not sort of benchmark too early. But the first thing, Tom, to be honest, is I don't really like to judge trialists too early, you know, when yeah, they, they come in the building. I love that. So, you know, if you put yourself into that situation, you're going into a new environment, yeah. which is, uh, well, on paper, elite. You're going to be training X amount of times a week. You're around completely new players. You know, you might not know anyone in the team. It may even be your first experience going into a professional environment. So mm. it, talking about, um, first of all, a player yeah. is obviously going to really want to do well in mm. terms of how they perform and be amongst the group. Yeah. Uh, and if you've got a love for the game, you know, you're going to have that little bit of a, whether it's nervousness or a bit of anxiety, you're going to feel yeah. a bit of that, you know. Yeah, true, true. The, the first day that I worked into Charlton, um, listen, I wouldn't say I was scared, but did I have that sort of, that feeling sort of in your stomach of you're going into a professional football club, you know? Mm.
0: Uh,
2: mm. Yeah. yeah. You, you've got lot. to try and find your way. You're going to be judged by people. How are they going to perceive you? So if I'm feeling that as an adult, what is a 12 or 11 year old kid feeling mm. when he walks into our environment? Yeah. Yes. Mm. And, and then... What you're hoping to see over those, after those first sort of one to two weeks, and once they've settled in, is for me, they've got to have that well feature or an area of their game that okay. even if I don't know the boy or why he's come in, I should be able to walk up to the side of the pitch and go, bang, you know, that's why he's here. That's okay. why he's here. Yeah. And not just try this with that Tom, you know, even signed players. So yeah, like, I like hearing that. It's good to hear that. Yeah, I, I just think yeah. for me, sometimes we can look at players as they have to be rounded or <clears throat> X player isn't good enough because he can't run or X player can't <clears throat> is not good enough because technically he's not this. But I just think if they've got an outstanding feature, you know, something that really okay. highlights their game and their potential then I think that that's something uh, that you can work with over a period and then hopefully refine some of the areas that they need work with. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I think an outstanding attribute, something to get you excited about, about them would be the thing for me. Uh, You
0: see, obviously, with the the generation of football that we're in now, it's an exciting one as well. In terms of um, attributes that you just said there, in terms of physicality of a player, how important is that? I mean, not just in terms of how big their shoulders are, but in terms of how they can get around the pitch. So, for example, if, if a player, highly technical, technical levels are prestige, but physically, you know they're not going to be able to cover every blade of grass, but maybe they're a little bit more intelligent about their starting positions and all that type of stuff. Does that play a big part when it comes to recruitment and, and the risk and reward factor of, you know, if that makes sense? Yeah,
2: yeah. And you know what football can be like, Tom, even <laughs> though you might have... You know, uh, an academy style of play yeah. or a talent ID program. Yeah, yeah. You're also talking about individual professionals who yes. have got maybe different opinions on on things. True, true. Yeah. Uh, but but I think what we've tried to benefit of is having some longevity with the staff working right. at the club over a long period of time, which has helped. But I think uh, I guess like. Just talking about for me as, as a coach or as someone when I work with the players, the first thing that I want to see from a player is the love of the game yeah. and their mindset to develop and improve. Yeah, you know, yeah. so for me, before we talk about technical ability, before we talk about physicality, yeah. that is something that really resonates with me working in the environment over a long period of time because. Okay. The best players that I've worked with, the players that I've seen come through the system, a key attribute is, is that real sort of driven mindset to yeah. be the best and to develop and push themselves. Okay. Sometimes, if I'm honest, that can result in players stepping over the line or oh, right. not understanding where the boundaries are in terms of, you know the the sore loser, you know. Or, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh right, okay. Yeah. From that perspective, arguing with okay. the boys on their team because they've lost, you know, those little things. But what you understand over time, although you manage that in the short term, yeah, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing in terms of the mentality of the club. How do um, how you refine that? How do you tune that, Adam? Like in terms of what you just said there
0: um about you know the the, the sore loser type of thing? How do you? Yeah,
2: you know, I, I I just think like. If if you see a couple of players go at each other a little bit, yeah, I think yeah. Uh, what what I tend to do is sort of leave it to start off with oh, and right. just observe it and see. I think yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. miss them type of things. Yeah, and then yeah. the time where you would obviously step in is maybe when it escalates or it goes further. And it's okay. just a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, lads! You know this. Uh, you know one of them sort of things. So, so yeah. it, it it never goes too far, but you can see when. and if there's a real hunger and a desire to win and you want that to be in training as well as games, at times those big personalities and their big players uh, will sort of blow up every now and again. But you also want to develop good people and players that appreciate and understand that winning and losing is part of the game. But you definitely want that sort of mentality. You know, just to go back to your original question about the physicality and technical ability. Yeah. uh, Listen, they're both very big key facets of the game. For sure, uh, I think if you looked at the game at the top level, yeah. uh, I think speed and yeah. you know yeah. agility have become yeah. like you know and agile players being able to change direction and being For fluid, sure. etc. For sure, have become real key parts of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but me, you know, I don't look like to look at size in terms of height. Yeah. and yeah. the width of a player's shoulders in of terms course. of like of dictating your decisions on them. Yeah. You know? yeah. So uh, I personally think like when you look at players, they've got generally their, their legs are strong. You know, it's... if you look at the top of their legs, they're powerful. Yeah. But yeah. they're lean athletically on their top mm. half as well. So if you get muscle bound or you get too top heavy too early, that can affect your speed and also the, the agile side That's of the really game cool. in terms of how you move and you can become a bit wooden and stiff with your movements. Um, yeah. so, you know, that, that type of work can obviously come further in a player's sort of development. But uh, as you know, in terms of, you know, technique and the player's ability to, you know, manage the ball, control the ball, feel the ball. Uh, yeah pass the ball, you know, stay on the ball in terms of manipulation and 1v1 ability, etc. For me, they're real key attributes and things that should be worked on from a very young age, yeah, quite, right yeah, through yeah. the academy. You know? yeah. And, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I would like to hope if there were players out there that had outstanding technical ability and game understanding, yeah. but were physically not as mature or maybe later developed,
0: Mm. I would hope
2: that the system nowadays gives them more time to develop than maybe previous. Yeah, uh, no, that's fair. That's yeah.
0: How how long is the uh like a, a trial period there, Adam? I'm a little bit out of, the, out of the loop, out of the sink of it all. How, how long is it from start to finish now? A trial period? Yeah, there?
2: so a trial period for a player is eight weeks. Okay, that's significant. So, okay, yeah, it's quite it's it's a good period for the player. Um, yeah. Going back to what I said previously, just to settle in for a couple of weeks and and then obviously go from there. Uh, It it used to be six weeks, but that's been extended. And what you can't do, you can't register a trialist twice in the season. Right, Okay. 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 right, I'm with you. If we had a player on trial for eight weeks this year and we didn't take him, we couldn't then bring him in on trial again until next season. Yeah, it makes sense makes sense so uh so yeah so that period i feel is is good so yeah, when the players first come in you know the coach will have a conversation with them with the parents uh, and along with the recruitment department speak to them about the timetable obviously days of training etc uh, exchange contact details yeah yeah um, and then obviously the coach would then treat or well, should treat the trialist as a normal squad player within that time okay So, uh, actually try and make them feel part of the group, integrate them in terms of training and games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And there would be a four-corner review of the player at the end of their So, Of course. Yeah. Listen, unfortunately, not every player that comes into the environment can be signed. But Uh, what you're hoping to give the player is a a, a good experience of the club and the academy environment. And hopefully some uh, good and developmental feedback for them to sort of go away with to improve and develop again. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think
1: you see that in football where you hear it all the time, player didn't get signed by this club, maybe not didn't get signed by the next club. At some point, um, through, through the, obviously their talent and the determination, they end up somewhere at some point. You always tend to hear stories of, I don't know, We've seen it ourselves, Tom, with sort of Didi, for example, where it didn't work out yeah, here or there or there. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. found himself at QPR and I think that that he learnt a lot from those, I wouldn't say failures, but that from those learning experiences at, oh, great. at um, those other clubs where he was at before. He obviously oh, signed great. for QPR, so I definitely definitely like that point that you made there. I just wanted to ask you, Adam, I wanted to go back a bit in terms of your, your early st- stages as a coach and who were your sort of coaching influences when you first started out and how did you get into coaching?
2: Yeah, so um, I, I started when I was 17, was when I done my level one. So uh, I, was, I was at Bacon's at the time, funny enough, doing my A-levels. And uh, there was a part-time coach, Anthony Bailey, who was working at Millwall at that time and uh, doing some part-time work. And he, he basically said that there was a level one at the community trust and that he could get me on it for, for free. So I was playing at Carl Shorten at the time. So I still thought I was half a player, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: you, you was definitely a player, Adam.
2: Yeah, I don't know about that. But then um, <laughs> I just thought, listen, I love football. Uh, I know Anthony. I'll just go along. If anything, I'll just get a week's worth of just just playing, just playing. Uh, yeah, football. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that uh, it. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah, and, and then you obviously go on the course. Uh, And Louise Newstead, who now works for the PFA, was the tutor on the course. Um, And immediately, I think, well, I think she saw that I was sort of a local lad, uh, my age, maybe potentially doing some part-time work, uh, worked, lived around the corner from the club. Um, So she sort of introduced me and brought me into the academy just to sort of work part-time. And I think she was key. Um, From a football perspective, of course, you know, you know, we can talk about technical development, developing the game, understanding, etc. But I think what she really gave me was a a good introduction to working at the community scheme. Yeah. And as someone who was sort of, you know, Lou coming from Catford, she'd been through Millwall for a long period of time as a player and a member of staff. Yeah. Uh, So she had a real good understanding of the local area and what the club meant as well. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think she sort of helped me really develop and and support me through there. And uh, I think the second person that was very influential in those early years was Jim Hicks. Ah. So, you know, people that know Jim who who works at the PFA now, funny enough. I need to speak to him about getting me a job, I think. (laughs) uh, Not wrong. Yeah, I I think what Jim was just a very good coach. And he was someone that just loved the game. You know, they were the two things that just stuck with me straight away. So when we were working at the Lionesses at the time, I was fortunate enough to coach and work with Jim and also be able to observe him. Um, I think at that time, that was something that was fundamental to me. You know, if if there's any sort of young coaches or aspiring coaches out there, the, the best bit of advice I would give them is, try to surround themselves by, well, observing and being around people that are better than you at what you want to do. Yeah. yeah. So, first of all, you have to be selfless enough to say, I'm not the best coach or I'm not the best professional in the world. Yeah. And then you need to go after those people that are the top in their field. Absolutely. Yeah. And and then sort of not not leave them alone and sort of tag on to them. Yeah, that's true. They're they're, they're the people that are really going to benefit you in the long run. And, uh, you know, similar to our friendships, you know, even to this day, uh, you know, Jim and Lou are both very good friends of mine, as well as being, you know, I guess mentors or a support with me in my career. And uh, I'll forever be sort of grateful for that as well. Listen, there's been a number of people that have really helped me along the way, but but those two have been extremely in in those sort of early years, you know.
1: Mm. Brilliant. Thank you.
0: On on that note, Adam, as well, what would you say your most significant moment has been in coaching to date? What was that 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 moment, the transition for you, when it was just like, I'm here, but do you know what, that that's where I want to get to? Was there a specific moment, or was there a, a couple of different junctures
2: in time? Or yeah, I, I think if there was one, it was when I went to Charlton, Tom. Yeah. Because when you deserve me bring... when you left me. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, we developed Gaz, and then he was. <laughs> the you know, he, he stepped up. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, um it, I think it sort of, in my head, it just made me think that coaching at the elite level and working with the top players possible was what I wanted to do. And I, I've always loved the community side of football, you know, to, to this day, I've got some really fond memories of the work that we've done and I've been involved in in the past. And there there are parts of it that you miss, you know, because the lightheartedness, you know, the the banter with the boys, you know, seeing them do different things and and grow is, is, yeah, they, they give you some really fond memories. But I think that was the time being around coaches, you know, Chris Powell was manager at the time. Nathan Jones was 23's coach. Yeah. I was... In, uh, closely with Steve Lovell, who went on to become a manager at Gillingham. Steve Avery is was and is still there. So Paul Hart. There yeah. was a lot of people that when I sort of walked in and I thought I can really learn from these, and I want to show. Uh, I guess not everyone, but I wanted to show to myself mm. that I can work at this level when I can hopefully do a half decent job. So mm. that that was probably the critical critical time, Tom. Really. And and you know what's funny? I I bet you remember it
0: as well. When, on that note, I remember I remember you got the call when we was um, we were playing Bromley, some uh, the Bromley boys away with the Fisher lads. I remember, and we we got in the car, and you got a call, and you was like, "I've got to take this role." We two sets, and you got out of the car, and you came back, and you said, "Oh look, this is this is the opportunity." I, I don't know what to do, and I just said, "It's a it's a no brainer. You got to do it." And it was, it was it was it was it was nice for me to be with you at that moment when that that, that change happened because I just your elation, you was just like, this is it now. I know what I want to do. It was, it was a great yeah, moment. I mean, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Yeah, it was good times. Yeah, yeah. no, cheers, but Yeah, no,
2: and even then, you know, when I think, uh, obviously what was happening at Mere Wall, but then also uh, the, the Fisher programme that we had started was quite exciting. And obviously we had a few of the boys from Social Inclusion and this yes. programme within yeah. that. Uh, and and it's, it was in my head, I felt that it was quite an exciting time to be doing that type of work.
0: Yeah. But
2: um, well, yeah, I, I guess it's like anything in life, just the timing of things and when certain opportunities come your way. You know, no, you've you got to take
1: them. Options. You have to take them. You have to, you yeah.
2: Have to and, I, and I think on that note as well, I think we can all sort of put our
0: two pence in this bit as well. It's like, what what's, what's your take on sort of... Um, Sort of the non-league side of things, Adam. In terms of you know uh, the conveyor belt into the into the pro program, into the you know to the elite levels of football, and what's your experience been personally with non-league football and, and all that type of stuff? Are you talking about as a coach or recruiting players in just or general? Like just in general, yourself and that what sort of you know how it's allowed you to look at the, the gaming from grassroots to elite level differently. Your your personal
2: involvements in non-league football and, and all that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like. Particularly from a coaching perspective, where I was coaching at non-league at, uh, you know, quite a young age. Mm. I think what it sort of helped me to do was, I think it helped me to work in a sort of, uh, well, is a semi-professional environment. Mm. So, the players want certain types of training sessions. They do want to be supported. Yeah. Uh, you know, if your program is half decent, they want it to be semi, you know, quite professional so that they can develop and improve. Sure yeah um and and also a lot of the players at that level have either played at a good level or been within the academy system before yes yes, yes. and and what tends to happen is they obviously drop down the football pyramid but well you know Tom, because you know you've played and and Gary, you've been involved as well, where there's some very good players at that level yeah um, so, so what it then allows you to do it allows you to be challenged as a coach yeah um. And, and you sort of develop your idea of how you want the game to be played, or how you look at sort of player development and uh, developing players at that sort of level as yeah. well. And and then I think I just think there'll always be players out there. You know, yeah, sure. uh, I, I think there'll always be good players at non-league. Uh, and again, similar to what we're saying about the community program, yeah. I think any sort of head of recruitment or scout out there that would neglect. The non-league level, I think, would be uh, very naive in terms of what's happening. We only have to look at, you know, take a player like Joe Aribo, for instance, who came into Staines. Um, And uh, Joe, immediately there was sort of something about him that sort of caught the eye. And, uh, you know, you're talking about a player that came into us when he was 19 and never played at a professional club before. Mm. And now he's planning a UEFA Cup for Rangers. So it's, amazing. it's mental. Yeah, it's mental. Yeah. In the space of X amount of years and plan for Nigeria. So it's amazing. are you going to be taking hundreds of players from non-league each year? You know, no. But you'd be naive not to understand that there's some, some good players there. And I think one of the benefits that young players can get as well sometimes is they can get that first team experience quicker. Mm. Than if they were at an academy, so yeah, what that then, Agree, yeah, yeah. They then get if you get a seventeen or eighteen year old playing at non-league, and he's playing against you know if you've got a centre half and he's playing against an experienced big centre forward who used yeah. to play you know pro level or played yeah, at a yeah. good level, you know if they're doing that over a period of time, that obviously helps and develops them massively. So, there's. For me, Tom, I know there's maybe consistencies and we look at uh, different elements of the game, but yeah. I just don't think there's only one way that a player should be developed or recruited. No, um, I
0: agree. Oh,
2: and I, I think as open-minded as you can be, mm. we'll, we'll only sort of uh, help you along the way to, mm. to find players and talent. You know? No,
1: I think, but, it, I think it goes back to what you said, though. You know, when we discussed sort of young people or young, young, uh, young kids playing against older kids. It's a similar thing in terms of non-league as well. For the seventeen-year-old playing against uh, a twenty, a thirty-year-old centre-forward, and you're just you're you're still playing against someone who's more experienced than you, bigger than you, probably possibly stronger than you. Having to find different ways of uh, winning your individual one v one battle against mm-hmm. that player, um, and I think it kind of relates back to that. And I think we've also seen with again, I can only talk from what I can relate to in terms of kicks and stuff, and Sort of, Tom, you know, uh, Deshane benefited mm. from playing at Staines at 17 yeah. years of age. Yeah. That gave him a platform to play men's football against men on a week-to-week basis. Same with Abraham, when Abraham, and obviously Adam, Adam I know you know Abraham, but Ad, Abraham benefited from his Tutankhamen stint yeah, um, yeah. in terms of that next step into the elite environment. So non-league is, is definitely something that we can't discard or... Think of as, you know, it's down there and we're up here. It's it's very much important in terms of of English football. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And even just going back to... So, when I was young, I played all of uh, the football with my friends in the cage. You know, that's Mm -hmm. where everyone sort of went. So, you go to the cage, there's 20 players there, 30 players there. So, you're in the middle of the game and then all of the older boys come to the pitch. So... Yeah, First yeah. thing that happens, they boot your ball over. <laughs> yeah, your game's done. Yeah. Then, if you was half decent at football, they might let you play in golf for them, or they might let you. Yeah, out yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you would have to wait until their game was finished, or you'd have to go at different times. And that—that's how. Our, it's, it's similar to the sort of school playground, but that older versus younger, and that yeah. sort of. Uh, yeah, like that chaotic sort of part of the game. I yeah. think it, hopefully something, not just in South London, but just childhood in general. Yes. Something Hopefully that's something that's not lost and hopefully we still sort of see. Because um, even just living round the corner from a uh, Sealwood gown, you know, obviously we all used to do the session up there. and uh, wow, the, foot sal- the foot sales wow. up in there. And, uh, <sighs> the first thing when I think, because I go past there all the time is... We used to have thirty kids in there, it used to yeah. just be jam packed, it just used to be yeah. quality. Yeah. yeah. The kids just used to buzz of it, you know, and they used to love playing and they used to, you know, just, just be around it. And I remember the first sort of time we went there, I don't think there were any kids going there, were there? No kids. No, no kids. one
1: at all. It was no it was just yeah, us yeah. two kicking kicking the ball around.
2: Yeah, yeah. So to get yeah, and, and and they're the things that you want to sort of see, you know, just in the yeah. On, on that note, boys, this is, this is a general one. So how, how important is, is character
0: in the game at whatever level? How important is it to possess those that, that, that sort of character trait that Brendan Rodgers loves to use in terms of your application to the game and how you carry yourself on the pitch, off the pitch? And, you know, how important a part does that play in actually going into the next level, as well as all the other, you know, four corners and all that type of stuff?
2: Yeah, the biggest, the biggest thing that I've learned working at the club, Tom, is... A first-team manager has mm. to trust a young player okay. before he gets the opportunity. Yeah. So, rightly or wrongly, and you know, there may be staff in the academy or coaches that think that the player is ready or that he's good enough. But yeah. the first-team manager has to be able to trust. And, and a lot of that sort of then comes down to the character of the player okay. and how do they fit into the group. Mm. Uh, can they deal with playing in front of... 25,000 fans, mm. um, are they going to be detrimental to the team if they play, okay. you know all those sort of type of things. So for me, uh, I don't know what you think, Gary, in your experience, but I, I do find that trust, a manager has to have trust in a young player, not just on the ball, mm. but all the different facets of the game for him to, to get in there. And for that, the challenge for the player is to gain the manager's trust and show that they're ready and, and really push
1: yeah, I think from from my experience in terms of sort of kicks with with, a, with a, obviously a hint of sort of the elite side of the game where we try and push players on and so on. Um, I like to see young people that are firstly just good people because um, I think that's a reflection, obviously, of your, your background and so on. But if I if I if you're a good person, I know that I can put you in that environment and you won't let us down. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're giving you an opportunity here. If that makes sense. Mm. Um, and then we, we're always looking for sort of a determined young person uh, Because it's not going to be easy in that academy environment You're always going to face difficulties And if you manage to progress from academy into first team, first team you know, Wherever you end up going, you're going to have tough times And I think you're going to need to have some a, a resolute character trait To get through those difficulties um, and not just giving up at the first hurdle, and of course you always need support. Um, and from having learnt from you two, is, is so important to to be able to be there for young people. Mm. But at the same time, you're always looking for, you know, someone to take stand and to sometimes, you know, deal with difficulty.
2: Mm, yeah, um, those are the two things that
1: come to mind for me straight away.
2: Yeah, it's a great yeah, point. He, I think like. The, the, good, the good people or good person bit sort of yeah. definitely resonates with me because what, what I say to players is the player on the pitch has got to look different to the player off it. And what I mean by that is yeah. when a player turns up to training, they should be respectful. They should, you know, be dressed smartly. They should shake your hand. They should yeah. be polite. They should have respect for the other staff. They should have respect for each other. You know, yeah. all that type of stuff, but then what you want to see when, the, when they cross the line is you want to see, i just call it a football mentality. Yeah. That's, that's what I look for. Yeah, yeah. Is, is the energy right? You know, Is the intensity right? Are they looking to get on the ball? Are they demanding the ball? Are they trying to take control of the game? Mm. Uh, are they standing out in terms of their character? So, yeah, you know, what you just said there is sort of reminded me with that because I just think that's so important. Yeah, you know, otherwise, yeah. Football, the game is so tough, and unfortunately, the higher you get in the game, the harder the challenge gets. Mm. So, if you haven't got that that grit, that determination, that resilience about you, fundamentally, somewhere down the line, you're going to be hit, you know, and, and have a setback because you're not able to get past that barrier. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Would, would would you say that? Uh, is 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 it
0: is it sort of immoral now and it, it not culturally acceptable to actually to to say to some players that not obviously in the academy environment it can be general that they're actually not they're not good enough and they're not going to be able to, to progress to a level or is that is that unfair? It's a bit of a throwing a bit of a curveball out there, boys. To everyone there, is it unfair to say that to some players or is it you know or like, you know what, what's your take on that in general? I, th- I think what
2: you've always got to be with a player is honest. Yeah. So, listen, do you have to tell them in a sort of brute, brutal or cutthroat way? Uh, no, particularly no, yeah. if you're thinking about the age of the player. Yeah. But they have to understand the realities of what mm. they're doing and mm. what they're trying to achieve. Mm. So, we all know the statistics in terms of uh, players getting into the top end of the game. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. what I say to a young player is, You have to believe in your head that you're going to be a professional player. Okay. So even if I tell you that you're not, you have to have in your mind that you're good enough and that you're going to make it and you're going to push. Mm. A flip side to that, you also need to understand the realities of the game and also Mm. make yourself a rounded person in terms of your education so you've got a plan B. So... If, for instance, you get released from a club at 16, yeah. you're not sort of twiddling your thumbs and thinking, "What the hell am I going to do now?" So yeah. to have that sort of like mentality where they are going to make it, yeah, yeah. But also being mindful of the, you know, what if type of thing, and uh, I've always been conscious of because I'm very thankful and very appreciative of, of being in the position of being able to work in football, yeah, and also being you know, a support and part of a player's journey at our club, you, you've got to be genuine with them. And mm-hmm. listen, you've got to tell them when they're doing well, yep. know, when things are not going well and you, you feel that they can be doing better, you've yep. got to place some demand on them. You know, but fundamentally, going back to what Gary said first, you know, if they, they've got to know that you care about them. Yep. And they've got to know that you're genuine about their support. For sure. And then I find whether you're giving them praise and loving them, or you're coming down on them like a ton of bricks. Mm. At least they then know that you're doing it for them, and yeah. it's not for you or it's not for a show. You know, yeah. it's, it's genuine. So that's the way that I've always sort of tried to approach it.
0: And and, and in your experience as well, Adam, obviously at Charlton, what what what's the influence of of the of the support network around the player like um, that you're experiencing regardless that's under 9 way up to 23s how important do those people off the
2: field have have on that and have on that player in terms of their application to, to the game yeah it's a good question uh, naturally the coaches have most contact with the players yeah. so that's just across the age groups naturally because the players are coming in for training and coaching etc um, and then we obviously have the support staff around that and One of the things that, not just our club, I know other clubs may do it even better, uh, but we meet regularly as a multidisciplinary team. So, for instance, every six weeks uh, in the youth development phase, we will have uh, a meeting. So we'll just uh, cancel one training session for an age group and have a meeting within that time. And in that meeting, you would have all of the coaches throughout those age groups. You would have uh, education and welfare, recruitment, sports science, physios, etc. And then all we do, Tom, is we go through every age group and every player. Okay. And we may not spend masses of time on each player, but if we feel... If anyone feels in the room that they need to bring up something about that player, then that's when they intervene. Okay. And then what happens, so for instance, it could be uh, the sports scientist raises a concern about an under-14 who's going through growth-related issues. Right. Okay. So then what it does, it lets everybody else know... And then a plan can be put together to, I don't know, modify his training load. Makes sense. Yeah, makes look sense. at the type of work and the treatment that he's getting. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of like what I found it to be a real powerful way of one, all staff working with those age groups, understanding what's going on. Mm. And most importantly, then how to intervene to support that plan. Okay. And that could just be something, you know, that could be... the education and welfare officer, letting us know that they've gone to a player's school and that there's been some concerns around, I don't know, his coursework. Yeah, okay. So then the the coach would intervene, talk to the player about the situation and potentially stress that if the situation doesn't improve quickly, then training or game time could be affected. Okay. That's, it, so that's, was, that's how practically we try and we try and make it work you know? no that make, that makes sense guys you got any anything to add on
1: that on that part or um no but I've got a question um I know we're sort of cutting, coming up to the hour mark quite soon I just wanted to go back to sort of the our kicks discussion scene as that's that sort of and we've all been involved in it sorry um and I just wanted to know.
2: To
1: let it let go, go, Gaz. You know, you know. <laughs> I could, you know, but um, you slept, before, you slept in that take top off last
2: jersey. night. Didn't
1: you? Take it you. I ain't taking <laughs> it off since, since 2011. I've had it since 2011. Can't lie to you. Um, but earlier you mentioned the uh, how clubs should work more effectively with their community programs. How do you? How would you potentially vision that to be? If how do you think clubs can work more effectively with their? sort of community programs and community projects to allow pathways for players and coaches, players and coaches, because I find as though, well, I feel as though a lot of the coaches that we work with at sort of uh, um, the Trust are looking for their next potential pathway into that environment. How would you how would you envision that?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good question. Before I sort of explain what I've tried to do and we've tried to do at the club, Gal, uh, when I first started coaching at Mirwall, you could never watch an academy session. You could never mm. get close to the coaches there or watching practices and things like that. Mm. And I just found it to be like really sort of, you've got the same badge, but you're not together yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and something. thankfully over the time, that sort of improved in terms of, uh, and, and you we know, were trying to do a lot of good things in terms of that type of work. But mm. that was just an example of me understanding that, there are younger coaches out there that do want to sort of observe training or they do sort of want to be around it. And yeah. for that reason, you know, not just and community coaches, but any coach who sort of requests to sort of come in and observe training and to maybe sit down and talk, uh, I'll always respond and I'll always try and facilitate them coming in. Yeah. You know? As long as I know they're not a scout from Arsenal. LAUGHTER then we're always sort of supportive of people and, and just sort of sharing experiences, you know, yeah. not just us sharing to them, but also, well, what can you teach us? What are you doing? What are your experiences and how yeah, can we learn? Um, I think what we have at Charlton is sort of two strands. You've got the side where we've tried to support their coach development framework. Okay. So, for instance, I've got a good, or we've got a good relationship with a football development officer at, at the Trust. Yeah. Um, we've also got a relationship with um, the women's teams and the regional director there. So I've delivered CPD events for the Community Trust as an example. I in got terms you. of trying to inform the coaches as to what the academy programme is and what we're sort of looking for. As, as part of my role, I also arrange um, organise CPD events yeah. for our staff in okay. the academy. Yeah. So what I then do is extend that invite to the community trust coaches and the women's coaches where they can have two or three coaches come in on each CPD event. Mm. So what that then does is it brings them into our environment and then it also gets um, some interaction and discussion with all of the different, I guess, areas of the club. You know, boys, girls, community trust as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think from a recruitment perspective, the best thing that we have is we have an advanced centre. So Mm -hmm. it's run by the trust on a Friday night, but it has Charlton coaches who deliver on it, and it has Charlton scouts observing it. So what we can then do what should happen is the best players from the community trust programs, which is, you know, uh, it's a big program, uh, the community trust at Children, the best players get accelerated into the advanced centre. Yeah. We then observe and work on the advanced centre to then bring the players into the academy when they're ready. Brilliant. And, and what we can also do is if we feel that there's a player who's not quite ready but let's just say uh, Burt Dawkins, our head of recruitment as a senior player at Grassroots, he can then refer them to the Advanced Centre, um, sort of see how they develop in that programme before mm. then bringing them into the academy. It makes so, sense.
0: Yeah, it makes
2: you've sense. got the sort of coach and staff development side, and then you've obviously got the recruitment and player ID side. But uh, again, you know, I, I think when I'm answering these questions, I'm probably making it sound, uh, look a bit like Disneyland or Eureka sort of thing. But (laughs) with all all these things, they're sort of challenges and it's not easy. But uh, I just think um, you want to try and develop a sort of one club identity and you want, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, no one from the academy is more important than a women's coach. You know, the community trust is not more important than the boys' academy, you know. You know, everything should be sort of looked upon as being part of the club and hopefully part of something special. And I think there should be a lot of respect and sort of humility shown to everyone. Mm. No, I, yeah. I agree. guys. have you got anything to add on to that from
0: from the sort of Mirwall and Kicks perspective side of things? Um,
1: yeah, that's just something we've sort of been working on over the years as well. Um, as it's kind of documented, there's been players that have gone elsewhere. And so on and so forth to other clubs, which is for us is a brilliant in terms of celebrating their success. Um, but obviously, how do
2: you feel, uh, Gary? Is like someone who's obviously come through the program and you know the boys like really well, mm. and they end up at other clubs or going into other arenas. Mm. Uh, is there a sense of sort of regret there because of you working for the club or? um that
1: or yeah yeah uh especially ones where i feel as though maybe i could have affected the situation better um or potentially done this for this particular young person could, obviously it's out of my control in some re- in some realms but you always feel as though i could have done that bit more um but in in a general sense there's there's, there's it's a 50 50 thing where i'm very much happy for these young people because it's it's giving them an opportunity to, to elevate their lives and their families' lives, especially where they're coming from. Mm. Some of them are coming from really difficult backgrounds and environments. And some of them have been written off, whether it's by family members or to where they're just coming from, um, in terms of society writing them off. So there's that. And also we always see their success as a learning opportunity for the other young people in the area. So, for example, I will say if a young person in Silwood sees to Shane Dorling playing for QPR, in his club tracksuit, he's thinking, wow, if if he can have success in his life, I can do that as well. So I always try and look at it from that perspective in terms of there's a success ladder potentially being built in terms of within the area, if that makes sense to you guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, But then there's also always that if they were at the club, if they were at Millwall, um, I would be so much happier just because of where I work. I live in the area, I live, like 10 minutes from from Millwall, so and I work for the club and I work for the Trust so I, there is that sort of 50-50 split feeling in terms of regret as well as sort of delight for, for the young people that we, we work with um, but I, I think me, Tom and Richard have always said that the young people always come first so wherever they are, their success is more important to me than, than anything else I would say. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how you true. feel Tom?
0: Yeah, no, Gaz, you're, you're spot on. I mean, we all, as we always say, we're always very passionate and we're always highly empathetic, and we we look at situations from the young person's perspective, and we always want the best for them, as you said. And I think for me, ultimately, for young if a young person comes through the Kicks Project, you know, and you know doesn't go into mere war but goes to another club with delight, don't we? We will always be the first person to say, "Well done," but I I see it as well on the other side that I see it as an opportunity missed in terms of attracting new fan base as well. So an example, if you get, you know, players that come into the club from the local estates, there's hundreds, there's hundreds, potentially thousands of people on, on who live on those estates. If they see an individual, a young person, you know, who's been playing their ball courts as an example, sign... I want to go watch them. So, so, yeah, sign into the professional football club. Do you know what? They may think, you know what? You know, I've, I've, I've you know, I've, I've been told these things about this. It doesn't have to be mere or a community club. I've been told these things about this club, that club and all that. But, I've actually got a reason to go to that football club now. Do, do you get what I mean? So I see it from that holistic sort of, yeah. sort of perspective as well. And I, I just, I just always say it, it's an opportunity missed for me. But again, as as Adam would say as well, it's the player and the opportunity that they get elsewhere is is, is all that matters. But I, I do think there could be more of a, an
2: effective sort of. Yeah, yeah. I think like if the club looks at the player, yeah, and uh, takes a real good look at them. Mm. and then decides that the player's not ready, Mm. I think that that's fine. Because they may be looking at that player in respect to their squads, their pathway, the type of player that they want. And then if the player then goes somewhere else and does well, that's fantastic for the player. Mm. I think where it can sometimes be frustrating in development is when you feel that someone has the potential to, but
0: uh,
2: there's not the opportunity. And uh, like you said, so that's not about Chauhan or Mir or any club. Sort of yeah. in general with, with yeah. the boys that you sort of work with um, and, and where I've sort of got to in my head is I think listen I love Charlton I'm extremely grateful uh, and humble to be working for there and you try and do your best for the organisation that you work for every day but essentially I'm a coach of players True. so yeah. if you have a player you take the badge away and you want to help them you yeah. want to them, you want to push them and you want to show them unconditional support throughout the time they're with you. Yeah, yeah. To try and help them listen if it is within that club, then great. Yeah, but if it's somewhere else, or even if they do something in another area of their life away from football, yeah. surely that's got to be success and something that should be celebrated as well. You know? Yeah, no, I, think, I, think I think
1: that's why I think that's why I've had no qualms. Um, if a player hasn't been signed by the club that I work for I would go out of my way to try and get them somewhere well and Tom has done this as well to his credit we'd go out of our way to try and help them elsewhere whether it's to get them into non-league football or it's to get them into another an academy environment oh yeah' or it's sure. to get or it's to get them come into the to the mill community trust academy program the the college college work, college program and give them an educational educational pathway we will always do our best to work with these guys even if it doesn't work for them. At the club we work for, in terms of the academy stuff. Um, but going off, going off that, I remember Tom when we went down to, we went down. Tom, where did we go? And um, Abraham, Dedge, we were both on the pitch that day. Was it? Was it Mill? Was it? Was it the Mill training ground?
0: Oh, of course it was. Yeah, the training ground. Of course it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. Oh, uh, I, I saw yeah, you. Know.
2: Yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I was just thinking back to that day and I was—we obviously we had discussed it after we were like, well, what a moment this is where sort of two boys from the local area playing at a, at a very, very high level of football together. And they're both at different stages in their careers. Sort of, just sort of an established centre-half or established footballer now. Abraham's still playing his training, still trying to figure out his way through. Um, I just thought what a great moment that was. And the fact that they, they very much interact and they're very much you know, um, you know, very much what's the words I'm looking for. They're to, they're together if you like, despite the fact that they're, they're at different stages is was very pleasing to see. That no, and,
0: and I think I think for me guys as well, I think that moment was a special one as well, simply because you have two players that in in the greatest respect to at different levels of spectrum even from when we first first met them. And the fact of the matter is is that one player was always around it and had opportunities in terms of deji. But Abraham had his opportunity, and then that sort of got taken away from him, and then it, then it was nothing. But what I'm saying is that time elapsing shows that with a little bit of perseverance and resilience and application, and just actually not giving up, that you can end up on the same pitch as each other. That was what it was for me. I know it's that bit, you know, sentimental, but that, that was why That's I looked because Abraham as an example. But have easily thrown the talent. and said, "I'm never playing football again." But do you know what? He thought, "Nah, keep going." But it's credit credits yourself as well, guys. In you know, especially the last few years with with Abraham, is that. You've just you've just kept going. You've kept tripping away with him and, and you know the rest of his history he's now he's now Mister launch, you know. So I think it's, a, it's a, again, it's that it's that that network of ourselves coming back around doing a 360 to support a player. And that's that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, you know yeah.
2: so. and, and sometimes uh it's a good point, Tom, and sometimes the players need someone because listen, the player, you want them to be able to bounce back themselves, yeah. You want them to have the resilience, but because they care so much about something, because it yeah. means so much to them, yeah, it really hits them for six, you know? Oh, so yeah. to have that like support from people, that support network around you, mm-hmm. and some people that may not necessarily come from their mum, dad, or you know, their yeah. uh, parental and guardians, but to have people like that to sort of give them a nudge and to urge them not to give up that and it, to bounce that back, you know, yeah. that, that's, that's yeah. where it can be so powerful, can't it? Yeah,
0: yeah, and yeah, I think, no, and that's and that, that's what that's what brings it all together. And I think that that sort of sums up this conversation. I think that brings it to a nice a nice close as well. And I think, um, yeah, it's been it's been a great conversation, gents. Um, and yeah, is there anything that we just want to just finish up on, or, or or we happy? Really good conversation, personally. No, really happy.
1: Yeah. Um. Thank you for coming to the to the podcast, Adam. Obviously, this is trying to build a platform where we can just, I guess, give people an insight into our experiences and people's experiences that have come from within our area, so South London, and obviously in particularly coming from sort of working for the Trust or having an involvement with the Trust or the Kicks programme and what we try to do. And obviously for myself, I can always say that you two are the first people that I got the chance to learn from as a coach and as a person, how to be as a person, if I forget the coaching, how you two interacted with the young people we used to work with. Um, I learned a lot from that. So obviously, thank you to you too, and thank you for coming on to the to the podcast. it's been it's been insightful.
2: No, no, thanks, gents. uh No, first of all, just just thanks for the invitation, and uh, no, no, always good uh, to sort of speak football and speak about uh, you know past memories and yeah. <laughs> uh, what we've sort of done together and stuff. And uh, no, no, listen, uh, hopefully we've still got. A lot, lot to look forward to in working with young people and sure. working within football and sport as well. Um, so, no, any way we can help, then, then great. So, thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. Right, thanks, boys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to episode two. Uh,
0: keep watching. There's plenty more to come. Um, stay safe, stay home, save some life. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Nobody likes us. We don't care. It's South London. It's crazy over here. Nobody likes us. We don't care. Welcome to the jungle. It's lions out here. Lions are here. We don't care. It's crazy over
2: here. We don't care. We don't care. Hey yo,
0: I'm messy with my left. Ronaldo with my right.